Metcalf, known as Mets. Should I call you Mets or Tom? Uh, Tom, Tom would be fine. I, I, yeah, Tom's good. Right, so, um, commiserations are in order, but at what point during the season did you think, OK, we're gone? Was it when you hired Tidsdale? Was it when you sacked Tidsdale? That was, I would say, when the January window shut and we didn't have a striker come in, essentially. We knew from the start that we were lacking a goal scorer and, you know, all the relegated teams generally lack a goal scorer and we were no different. Um, and Tisdale had his, had his opportunity. He went really, really hard after uh, Jaden Stockley, of course, played for him at Exeter. Didn't get him, he went to Charlton. And then, basically, we scrabbled around, tried to get Danny Hilton, who we're linked with again, and it just, nothing came off for us. Yeah, we just couldn't couldn't score. We lost so many games by just one goal. But our last four, we lost by one nil, exactly. And it was just, yeah, at that point I thought, you know what, we're, we're probably going to struggle. Mathematically, it was only four or five games left, but MK Dons, I think, at home, um, was the, the big one where we, we lost that. And although it was mathematically possible, as everyone at the club then was just like, we're, we're down. I can completely understand. Uh, the season Watford had in 2019-20, despite beating Liverpool and Man United and taking Arsenal all the way twice, uh, started with one manager, got another manager in, got rid of him, got a third manager in, and fired him two games before the season. And this season we've had two managers, so it is a hot seat. Although I read with some concern about the manager uh, before Tisdale. Uh, ben Garner. Ben Garner. Um, there was a great interview with the coach's voice. Seemed to be the right guy, and then um, the board said, no, we don't want you anymore. Um, very unfairly yeah. treated, I think. I, I would agree with you, actually. I think... When he went, I was surprised that he went um, so early. But you have to take into account last season, we had um, Graham Coughlin in charge, who the season before had done a firefighting job and kind of got us up into safety, um, taking over from Daryl Clark, who was sacked, who's like a massive club legend. So Coughlin took over, got us up to fourth. We'd just beaten uh, Ipswich away. Might have even been third, you know. And people are starting to think, you know, we might be able to do it. And uh, in his post-match, essentially, he turned around and said he's considering his position because he doesn't know how far he can take the club or that he wants to be closer to his family up in Sheffield, like a bit of both. And then kind of over the next few days, he just ended up leaving and kind of left us high and dry. It was a bit of a kick in the nads. Mm. And then the board quickly pointed Ben Garner, who I kind of have a suspicion they wanted instead of Coughlin, but he'd done so well as caretaker that you, you couldn't take the job off him. And then presided over one of our worst runs of form, club record kind of low. Um, I think we were a couple of minutes off beating the record for minutes without a goal. Mm. From last season, he'd, he'd kind of gone into this season with that hanging over him a little bit. And he'd been backed in the summer massively. We brought in like big names like Zane Westbrook, Max Aimer. Um, Ostuma came in on loan from Charlton and kind of expecting big things. And... But he's only we five okay. foot one. He is very, very short. It's incredible. I love it. Like he's one of those that always um, stands out when you when you see him play. Not only because he's so short, but he is really good. Yeah. Well, he was amazing for Warsaw. So Ben Garner, yeah, starts the season, and he'd been kind of in that coach's interview already as well. Um, kind of you know tasked with changing the style of Rovers, more youth players coming through, and 
looking to kind of emulate a Brentford or a poor man's posh. And then after her very few games, kind of just the ball just sacked it off and sacked him off. And I was, yeah, I was a bit surprised, to be honest. And I think he did get probably, I think it was a little bit harsh because they sold it on this big this big project and you know the Rovers DNA and all that kind of stuff and then basically as soon as we weren't winning games instantly which you're never going to do with something like that when you're kind of trying to build something they got rid of him and I felt especially harsh for him because we had a really hard start to the season this year we had like Ipswich away Sunderland away Posh at home like almost straight away all these games and you're like oh god we're like really but we were kind of like lower mid-table and I wasn't thinking much of it. And then our next two games when he, he got sacked were Swindon away and Wigan away. And bearing in mind at that point in the season, because this is only, what, 13, 12 or 13 games into the season, Wigan were free fall. And so he got sacked. And it was just at that point where I thought, right, we've got over the hump, the hard start with all the new players bedding in and now we can kind of kick on. And they were like, no, he's, he's just going to have to go. So it was a bit of a shock. Uh, to see him go so early, um, but I can kind of see why they, the board with the backing they give him, essentially were kind of like right, we're looking for playoffs or upper mid table, upper mid table. So he wasn't hitting those targets, so they just decided to knock it on the head and get um, experienced head and smart dresser Paul Tisdale. Indeed, one of the smartest dressers in the football community. Three months, three wins, off he went. How much money do you think he earned in those three months, and he's still earning from the payoff? Well, he's taken up that role at um, Shrewsbury, isn't he? The advisory role. So I don't know if we are still paying. I hope not, but I wouldn't be surprised if we are. We are Bristol Rovers. Um, we, up until the start of June, were still paying Carl Bennett's wages, big wages. So, yeah, we, uh, we're we a bit of a charity case on that side. I, I can't imagine he'd come cheap because he, he didn't jump into the role after being sacked at MK Dons. He'd kind of, he's got his whole kind of like motivational speaking and all that kind of stuff so he's got all that kind of going on so he wasn't in any rush to go and get a job and then yeah the Rovers job came up and what he was kind of he was mentioned before when um, when Coughlin was sat, um, Coughlin left we're not sure if he he got sacked in the end um, he was touted then and I was actually quite keen on him because I, I was quite quite an admirer of him so I can imagine he cost a fair, a fair bit. Value for money, very low. Value for comedy, quite high. Yeah, um, <laughs> which, at which point I guess there's gallows humour. And as all this is going on, obviously they collapsed quite savagely, uh, but the team from Ashton Gate have, had fallen back into mid-table. Were you nervous that Bristol City, having such a good season with uh, Stephen Lansdowne's money, lest we not forget... Um, we're going to kind of rub your face in the dirt because City is where the money is. Rover seems to be the earthier. Uh, I don't know if I've got that right, but a Bristol City middle class and Bristol Rovers working class. Oh, no, I'd say they're both pretty working class, you know, because mm-hmm. um, Ashton Gate uh, with Bristol Sport, they've got the rugby, which is obviously a lot more middle class, completely different kind of crowd. I've been down for the rugby. I, I can see Ashton Gate on the back of my house, unfortunately. Yes, <laughs> yes. Bristol City have the money and we don't. Um, so that was kind of another thing why they were trying to do this Rovers DNA of buy cheap, develop, sell on, and then kind of reinvest and reinvest, which actually I think City have done pretty well. Um, and obviously Steve Lansdowne's pumped 
hundreds of millions into them trying to get into the Premier League. But every season it seems like they have the same thing where they start amazing, um, it gets to about Christmas, and then the wheels completely fall off. They tumble down, flirt with relegation, um, and then sometimes sat the manager and the new man comes in and keeps them up. I mean, um, Cottrell did it for them, Lee Johnson did it for them, Nigel Pearson's done it for them. He'll do it, they'll go up next season. Without a doubt. The roller coaster. You reckon? You reckon they'll go out next season? Yep. That manager who um, spectacularly fell out with the Watford hierarchy. I don't know if he's brought Craig Shakespeare with him, but yeah, I'm afraid he'll do really, really well. Nigel Pearson. Points to prove. Wonderful in that division. This is a division with Neil Warnock in the management. So this is this is the division Bristol Rovers want to go to to join. Bristol City and if only there were a podcast set up by some fans in I think 2019 uh, to explain the goings-on at uh, the Mem. Is it the, are you still at the Memorial Ground? Yeah, we're, still, we're, not, we're not leaving anytime soon. Good. Um, Gascast uh, or is it Gascast? How do you pronounce it in the West Country? Gascast. Good. When, when did you hop on board? I think around about so it started in 2016. Okay. Um, it's been going a good while. Um, I jumped on about 2018, a couple of years in. I like to think that the quality's improved since then, but um, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, it does. The more you do, the better you become. And where were you in 20? Where were the football team in 2016? 2016 was a, a highlight for us. Um, we'd just been. So we, we dropped out of the Football League in 2014 15. 15 16, we came back up. Uh, by the playoffs, um, and then the next season, 16-17, uh, we got promoted to League One. So we kind of started the pod just after just after we got promoted from the National League, and then that first season was Lee Brown sent us up, which was absolutely phenomenal. There is a, a fan cam uh, at the Bristol Rovers TV channel. Have you watched those highlights of that game? This is the 5-3 win over Grimsby Town on penalties? No, no, I don't ever watch that game. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. Um, just because Grimsby were the better team on the day, they should have won. Um, so it's really horrible to watch your team being shit. <laughs> and then the penalties, it was just, I felt sick the entire time. And then, yeah, eventually Lee Mansell, big club legend, uh, it was the anniversary yesterday of the, the Grimsby playoff win. Steps up, and after that, I still felt sick pretty much for the rest of the day. But I don't ever go back and watch replays of it. It's just not not nice to watch. Mm. Well, at, and at conference, National League level, it's just grinding out the results. Was it a nice change uh, from relegation from the Football League to being Darrell Clark's... Um, wonderful army I note that there was a change in chairmanship in 2016 yeah so Rovers before dropping out of the league had just bumbled at the bottom of league two for years and years so it was kind of always on the cards that you know the trap door would kind of open and we'd fall into it a lot of fans are very fond of the conference season because going away places and expecting to win and kind of some of the stupid like scores like beating Dartford or whatever like the Staggerangs like seven 0 in the FA Cup, like stupid stuff like that. So it's always I don't know. I love non-league football anyway. So it's kind of a bit of an adventure. But we got straight back out. If we'd stayed down there, I don't think anyone would be enjoying going to Gateshead away again. 
no. As a, like a, a one-season thing, fantastic. And a lot of people see it as the a kind of necessary evil um, to drop down, clear out the squad, cut off the deadwood. Daryl Clark, obviously, took over right at the end of the relegation season, couldn't keep us up. Um, but then back-to-back promotions, probably some of the best best Rovers moments in, in living memory, potentially. And yeah, that kind of squad togetherness cemented Daryl Clark as a, a legend, all the players as legends. Um, so on balance, you know, yes, we lost our league status and those lot down the road didn't let us forget it, but mm-hmm. it worked out pretty, pretty good. On a dramatic final day of the season in which Rovers required a win and for other results to go in their favour, a blank blank minute winner against blank blank from blank blank sparked wild celebrations at the Memorial Stadium. So fill in those blanks. 93rd minute winner from Lee Brown from left back against Dagenham and Redbridge. And how did you feel? Unbelievable. Imagine that's our kind of Troy Deeney moment, uh-huh. you know, playoff final. That's exactly how we felt. It was amazing because I went into the game knowing that we had playoffs and the weird run of results that had to happen to send us up, no one kind of expected it. And then it kind of gets, we went 1-0 down, Matty Cash scored uh, for Dagenham and Redbridge. We go 1-0 down, comical defending. I can pick, this is one of the games I watch the highlights of like barely regularly. Yeah, we go 1-0 down in the first half and you're like, well, playoffs it is then. Billy Bowden breaks a load of people's ankles, equalises not long before half time. And you're thinking, right, I'm going. One all, all the results are going pretty much for us. And we're like, okay, 45 minutes still to play. And then we basically lay siege to Dagenham and Redbridge's goal. They did have one attack, um, and Ekro was player and legend. Jamie Chirriton nearly scored just on the counter, just randomly. But luckily, uh, Tom Lockyer was back there to hoof it off the line. And then we're just, we're just pummeling their goal with shots. Their keeper had an unbelievable game. Matty Taylor, who we don't like to talk about anymore, hit yeah. the post. Oh, he hit the post for the for the goal, but before that, he he missed like two or three sitters. And then, as fans, obviously, we can check on the phones, and we're like, "This could happen if we score here. It can happen." And we're kind of like, because Accrington were drawing, and they they were so good at home that season, and they just couldn't score. And we're there, and I'm just like, if we get just one goal, and we're so much better than Dagenham, if we get one goal, we're going up. And you can kind of feel it in the crowd. Everyone knows what's at stake. And he, ticks on like 80th minute 85th minute and we're missing chance after chance after chance and it kind of ticks over to 90 the board goes up and you're like oh we'll probably get one more chance and we'll miss it the bloke next to me Mike got up and he went and he said it's not going to happen champ I'll see you next season I can picture it now throw in just in front of the stand where I am Goslin takes it takes a heavy touch player comes into challenges and he just pokes it through his legs to Jermaine Easter. What, about 50 at this point? <laughs> Trundles along a bit. Taylor's run. Just slides him in nicely. And Taylor, who at this point had missed like four sitters, shoots, hits the post, comes out to... So he's hit the right-hand post as you look at the goal. He's pinged out to, to the left. And then someone's... I didn't know who it was at that point. Someone's there and just taps it in. And... The place erupts. I've never, never known a noise like it. The, sh- the ground is shaking. The the woman 
next to me was Jackie. I nearly planted a kiss on her. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. And then Lee Brown's whipped off his top, gone over to the Thatcher's end, mobbed by fans, players. Daryl Clark's come down the sideline. It's just pandemonium. And I cannot... I still don't know who scored. I have no idea what's going on. There's a really good Sky Sports clip of like when uh, Jeff Stelling's like, there's a goal at the Memorial Stadium. You know how he does. Yeah. And they go to the play and he's on the opposite stand on the West Stand, which is like basically a rugby pavilion. I don't know if you've been to the men, actually. No, never. No. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not great. So, yeah, well, do you know something embarrassing? Up. I've never been oh. to Bristol. Oh. And my brother is marrying someone from North East Somerset. So I will have to go at some point to see the Banksies yeah. and the trippy hoppy stuff, but also the two football grounds. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's well worth a, a tour. Um, and Gloucester Road, uh, I mean, both grounds are pretty well situated, like Ashton Gates at the bottom of North Street, and there's loads of really nice pubs and restaurants. And then the men's the same. Gloucester Road's wonderful for, like, independent um, pubs and restaurants. And then, yeah, you've got this shithole grind at the top of it. <laughs> Do you call yeah, it Brizzle? No. Good, okay. <laughs> I'm just looking at the, the run-in from the 2015-16 season. I also clicked on uh, who the referee was. Are you familiar with Watford's ghost goal that we conceded against Reading? No. Uh, what happened was that Stuart Atwell allowed the goal, which wasn't a goal, and it stood. Uh, Stuart Atwell on one occasion was booed by both sets of fans on his return to the Vic after about eight years and Stuart Atwell was the referee according to this chart at that Bristol Rovers Dagenham game he gets around but the, the running is sensational Bobby Madley come back into our division oh yeah yes of course that's a very fun um, third act for him yeah um, but yeah, the running. You're aware of this. Four-one uh, against Hartlepool. I think 